This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hey there, welcome back to Ospol Snackpod, the podcast that would typically serve you up bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes, but this week is bringing you something slightly different. My name is Zachless Snack, and my co-host Noon is off tending to his meme fields. This week he has promised us an extra bountiful harvest next episode. But in the meantime, I'm going to be bringing you an interview with one of the speakers from the NAM, aka Melbourne, International Women's Day event, which is happening tomorrow, uh, as of the time this episode drops. That's the 8th of March. It's a great conversation, so I hope you enjoy that. Um, International Women's Day is one of, I guess, two big sort of protest events happening around this time. The other that happened this week uh, was Mardi Gras. Um, I mean, whether you can call it a protest these days is another question, I suppose. But uh, we don't really get into it this week, but I do recommend checking out uh, our episode with uh, Melbourne drag phenomenon Lazy Susan from last year. That's episode 42 if you want to hear a little bit more conversation around the politics around Mardi Gras, the corporatization of queer allyship and that kind of stuff. That's a really fun conversation as well. Before we get into it, I would also like to send a couple of shout outs to some new patrons that we got this week. Thank you very much to Mary, Hazel and Cole who all signed up. I hope I have pronounced your names right. If not, please let me know and I'll fix it next week. Um, uh, also, Harriet, C and Dan increased their pledges over on Patreon. Thank you very much for doing that. It really helps us keep the show going, helps support all the little bits and pieces that make the show more accessible and that kind of thing. So uh, we always appreciate that. If you love what we do and want to support us financially, you can do so over on patreon.com slash Snackpod. Get yourself monthly bonus episodes for as little as one US dollar a month, uh, plus some other cool stuff. Uh, but that's probably about enough from me. Uh, let's get stuck into this interview and we'll catch you next week for a more traditional news roundup Ozpol Snackpod. Hey, Danny, welcome to uh, Ozpol Snackpod. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Zach. Absolute pleasure. So um, we've got you on because uh, coming up, uh, the day after this podcast is going to be released is International Women's Day, and you are one of the speakers at this year's International Women's Day event here in Nam, aka Melbourne. Um, yes. So yeah, we we're just going to have a bit of a chat about uh, International Women's Day in general, what you're going to be talking about, some of the themes that are going to be touched on at this mm-hmm. year's event. Um, but to get started, maybe you can tell myself and our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and how you came to be speaking at International Women's Day this year. Yeah, sure. So I quite frequently refer to myself as a baby unionist because really, um, even though I'm in in my mid-30s, I have only been in a union for three years. um, And it's been a very fast and steep learning curve um, and just yeah. a whole world of opportunities. Um, Very exciting. Yeah. So I'm a tram driver. Yeah. So I, I work in a male dominated industry. It's very 
very much union encouraged as well. So that's mm-hmm. given me opportunities to um, meet some fantastic women also in male-dominated industries. And it's mm. just lit a fire in my belly, really. To um, <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So you're uh, a tram driver, so you're part yes. of the rail, tram, and bus union, Fan- which is... Yes, correct. RTBU. Yeah, so... Exactly. So that's the national union for um, public transport workers, but obviously there's the Victorian uh, division. Is that the right? Yeah. So we've got our state branch and then um, because because it um, was a union that came together, actually, we just had our 28th birthday the other day, apparently of the amalgamation um, of several different, thank you, um, several different public transport unions amalgamated um, 28 years ago to form the RTBU. Um, so yeah, so we do actually within our union have a few separate different divisions as well. Mm. So that can create some interesting work that like, I, I suppose there are other unions that have different divisions with them in, in them and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah. um, ideally everyone working together to, to make everything happen. Um, but yeah, so I'm part of the, the tram bus division of that. Um, within our union, we also have a women's, the women's committee that's just celebrated our 10th anniversary last year. Um, Very really cool. bringing, yeah. So bringing together women from women and gender diverse from all of the different RTBU, um, divisions. Gotcha. Um, and yeah. And again, we're like our sisters all, um, come together with the WIMDOI. So women in male dominated industries, um, sorry, male-dominated and occupations and industries um, gotcha. to, to again, bring that sisterhood together because, you know, there are some unique challenges to being female in a traditionally male space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hmm. maybe you could go into a little bit more detail about that in terms of what the RTBU Women's Committee does. I understand you're also... Um, a women's advocate for the Preston mm-hmm. Depot. Yeah. So, um, look, I, I will be honest and say that I feel that I, I've always felt very privileged in that in my particular job, in my particular job and in my particular industry, um, mm. you know, there has been women in the space for a lot longer. Like they, there, there've been quite a, quite a lot of women in the role for a long time before I came along. So, mm. um, like not always the case across the board there. So it's, it's even in other sectors, like the actual manufacturing side of things, getting, Mm. you know, making sure that the women that have chosen to go into those roles feel safe and included in their workplaces, um, Mm. you know, and making sure that, you know, attitudes that, that should have gone with the dinosaurs do go with the dinosaurs (laughs) and, you know, just making sure that like, you know, um, the attitudes and safety in the workplace, not just around like physical safety, well, yes, physical safety, but, Mm. um, just that it is a safe environment for everyone to be in regardless of gender. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, well, I mean, it's obviously incredibly important work. Um, and it is always incredibly important work, but the last, few weeks, especially what has been going on in federal politics with um, oh. Brittany Higgins coming forward and uh, 
and obviously um, the allegations against Christian Porter. I mean, it's ne- there's it's never been more apparent how crucial it is to have people advocating for women's safety in general, but specifically within workplaces. Oh, definitely. Like if if women if we can't feel safe in you know the highest spaces in the in the, mm-hmm. the spaces that the rules for our workplaces are being made how can yep. we feel safe in our grass in, in our regular workplaces you know um yep. i've also very much you know i i very much would like to see more women in the roles that are making those decisions and making those changes because you know we need to have space at the table and and if yeah. the ones that are making decisions don't want you at the table, that's even more reason to be there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 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 <laughs> very true. Words to live by. Yeah. Um, and uh, you mentioned uh, that you know you've part, a lot of the work that you do within the ITBU. Um, you know, there's a lot of groundwork that has been laid by women who've come before you in the industry and have done work there, which I think is a great way to segue into talking a little bit about International Women's Day more generally, because it's Definitely. this, yeah, it's this celebration of, um, uh, of feminist activism, uh, and specifically, uh, feminist activism, uh, when it comes to workers' rights, because that, those are really the roots yeah. of, of the day. Oh, fan- it, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, so last night um, the, at Trades Hall, we actually had our Women's Rights at Work um, fest uh, mm-hmm. mo- get together um, and there was a, a movie that's just been released called Women of Steel. Yeah, so last night we got to watch uh, Women of Steel um, and it were, and listen to the, um, the director and uh, – the creator, um, mm. Robin, who was one of the women who was on the picket line that did fight to, you know, have the right to work in the steel mill, but, mm. you know, and, and seeing that this, the fight that those women had went on for years and they took on mm. one of the biggest companies in Australia and won the right to work. And then when the company tried to shaft them again, the women got together and fought for it again and they didn't give up mm. and and uh, it was something that you know the these women were doing that sort of stuff you know when I was a little kid and so I yeah. I actually until the project was um was being promoted last year um mm. I had never heard of this story because obviously you know when you're a little kid you don't pay much attention but yeah it, it dawned on me watching that movie last night that when I was growing up, it never crossed my mind that there was not a job that I could, there was a job that I couldn't do because I was yeah. a woman. Um, yeah. And that's because of women like the women of steel that mm. have already done the fighting for us. And it's not to say that there isn't still a big fight to have, but mm. we we do definitely need to acknowledge the the really strong women that have come before us and have made it so that we can, so that we can, you know, do jobs and, you know, not be limited by our gender. So, yeah. Yeah. Great movie and everyone needs to see it. (laughs) Yeah, it looks incredible. So I think specifically it's about the 
the Jobs for Women campaign through the 80s and early 90s, and specifically Correct. BHP was the company, yeah? Yeah, were... um, yeah, AIS and BHP um, right. were the companies. And there's the incredible, you know, there were, there were women that were camping out across the road from the job centre demanding yeah. that they be given the right to apply for a job and to, to be given a job. And it's just phenomenal. Like amazing. Yeah. And you know, so this has staunch. happened in our lifetime. Like it's not even like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's so as recent. well because, you know, like obviously you're learning about activism history and stuff like here, you know, learning about the bread and roses strike, you know, but put mm. in that perspective, it's, you know, that happened a hundred plus years ago. Um, mm. So, but to see the same sort of fight still happening, in our own lifetime and knowing that there's still so much fighting to have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's such a long, there's such a long history um, of, uh, of feminist activism to draw upon um, for International Women's Day and, and the, the story of how it started as an mm. event um, in the early 20th century with uh, like garment makers in, in New York kind of, you know, rallying, putting on some of the biggest protests like in American history and like that this is all kind of rooted in workers struggles I think is a really crucial like lesson to take from that and that was yeah, yeah. I mean we're talking about obviously over 100 years ago in that case but as you say even only two or three decades ago you have these extremely you know like <laughs> Jobs for women yeah. campaigns happening in the 80s. Like it's, you know, it's, as you say, it's within living memory. And of course, as, um, as you have said, there is still plenty of fighting to be, to be done. Mm. Um, oh, definitely. So bringing it back to this year, what are some of the things that you are going to be touching on when you speak and that Ooh. you're hoping to see other people talk about? Yeah. So, well, one of the things, like, obviously we can't ignore that this last 12 months has been, I, oh, there's all the words that get used all the time, like, you know, um, unprecedented and, you know, yeah. unheard of and, you know, first, once in a lifetime. But, mm. you know, realistically, this last year was a dumpster fire. And um, look, realistically, it became very apparent as well how much women's work, well, women's, I say women's work in inverted commas, yes, but yeah. how much unpaid labor women do, whether they are in paid employment or not. Mm. And like the, the suddenly, especially in Melbourne, having to, you know, having so many industries completely shut down, um, mm. having so many industries have to work from home, having so many situations where um, children had to be at home for schooling, um, it's, it has given an unbalance to women realistically, mm. because when you, when you look at it, um, you know, if they are women that were able to, were still essential workers and had to leave the house, then, mm. um, you know, if they do have children, like working out care arrangements for, for mm. those children or trying to maintain you know, online learning and therefore, you know, having to, um, step into a role of teacher as well, which yeah. you know, it's, it's not, I was very lucky that my children are uh, in high school and needed mm. much less supervision, but I know like a lot of women needing to take 
leave from their jobs because they needed to stay home with younger children because, you know, because they weren't able to, to leave them unsupervised or, you know, having to have that debate, is it worth risking their health to send them to care or to send them to school so that, you know, that they could go to work. Um, But even Mm. just that the industries that were hit hardest with, with shutdowns, retail, hospitality, female dominated they're they're my background um i i previously worked in in hospitality um and most recently retail before i switched to trams and Mm. just the difference i've experienced being in female dominated industries uh and now moving across into a male dominated very unionized space is Mm. just so different and you know obviously things like you're just getting like higher pay rates as well because yeah. unions have fought for so long to get higher pays and then mm. you in the industries that there's just not that not as much support there for that um mm. and again it tends to be casualized workspaces that that have yeah. you know, women especially women that have children tend to work in casualized or lower lower hours in part-time and they they've been most affected because they don't have leave they don't have holiday right they and even yeah. fell into loopholes where they weren't eligible for the government supplements that were put out so yeah we've ended up with all of that pressure plus add to it that you know they're either working from home or um having even just things like you know when people are at home more there's more housework to do yeah. And who does um, that fall to typically? Like, yeah. I mean, look, I'm not going to discredit. There are a lot of good people, good men folk out there that are doing <laughs> their thing. But a lot of the time, even the ones that are pulling their weight, their female partner is still the one that's the house manager. They're yeah. still taking on that mental load. This and their other, and you know, it tends to be them that as the house manager is the one that's looking after sick children, looking after mm. the logistics of going to doctors and you know dealing with factoring in the budgets and everything like that. How are we going to survive if someone loses their job or how do we do this? And it's just been this added stress. So I'm hoping that a lot of a lot of industries have actually been able to take this as a a thing that, you know, gives them more opportunity for flexible work arrangements because we've clearly Mm. proven that a lot of jobs can be done from home. And for years, women have been told you can't work from home. You can't make arrangements around your children. Yeah. And the being forced to work from home or to work alternate arrangements because of the pandemic has proven that when industry needs to pull their finger out, they actually can. And we need to, we need to make sure that we don't, take their excuses anymore for it yeah absolutely and i would say that government has demonstrated the same thing that Mm. when push comes to shove if they really need to provide extra support for working people and working women specifically they can they could offer free childcare. they could offer better protections for casualized workers but they have chosen not to or in some cases you know sprinkled a little bit of extra support on top Absolutely. for a few months and then yanked it away. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, it's just, it, 
it's it's boggled the mind. And then even mm. I, because I. I, I tend to go off on little red string tangents. With, Please do. With things. That's what um, it's all about. But, That's where the good stuff happens. One of uh, the thing that I'm quite passionate about at the moment is that the the gender pay gap yeah. is not as simple as the dollars you earn per hour. Because yeah. you know, I've had this discussion with you know people that I work with and people in other industries. Because um, obviously in the space that I work in, if my male counterpart and I, we get paid exactly the same amount because we are both workers. Like if we're on the same level, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, you're all paid. And that's fantastic. That's fine. The thing that factors into that though, um, women are the ones that are most likely to take time out of the workforce for caring for children or caring for elderly parents or um, needing, just needing to be, or, not working full time as much, working part time mm. or casual jobs to work around those care care re- requirements. Um, yeah, they tend to be in industries that have got less stability in their jobs. Like mm. coming from working in retail, the turnover is so high because it, it that's just the nature of the industry. But you have mm. kind of a very different very different split for you. You have some that are like your lifers that are in the same job for a long time. And that is fantastic. Um, but they are the rarity realistically. Like there's mm. a lot of just turnover because it's, yeah. it tends to be the thing that people are doing between other things. Um, but what, the, what it means though, is with, with women in particular working more casualized jobs or taking career breaks to um, to care for children or family, they're not getting super during those yeah. gaps. So then when it comes to retirement, they've got nothing or they've got very little. And you know, the homelessness of older women is yeah. on the increase because, you know, they've, they've stayed at home with the kids and done what, you know, again, in inverted commas, the good woman would do and mm. stayed home and looked after children for years. So then when it comes, even if they have gone into working in their later life, it they've lost so much in their, like their super build up. And again, yep. they've normally gone into part-time jobs, which just don't have the, the thing. Super was something that uh, I did want to touch on because, you know, one of the things that we saw, like one of the major government responses, um, to the economic crisis brought on by the coronavirus was to encourage people to take out their super early. Oh, and obviously, my if we're talking about gods, yes, women, you know, have so much less already. I, like, sorry, yeah. obviously, because we're a podcast, like, like people can't see. I'm, I'm yeah. literally like grabbing at my head right now because <laughs> yes, this is one of those head desk <laughs> things. Because again, because yeah. pe- generally, people that in have been in a position where they needed access to that sort of money and stuff they haven't considered the forward repercussions of it. You know, if you take 10 grand out of your super now, if you're in your twenties and thirties, if you take 10 grand out now, that translates to 40 or 50,000 when you get to retirement age, like it is, you know, it builds interest. You need that money. And that's why it's so important that why, why it is the younger generations that are getting so shafted with their super as well, because so many people Mm 
are working in casualized jobs for longer. And that's not just women either. That is men and women. Um, because, you know, because there's been such a casualization of the workforce or like bringing in subcontractors and everything like that, people Mm. are getting to it. Like they're missing out on all of that interest from having this little thing there. And then of course, you know, our lovely government trying to make it even harder to, but, you know, making it less accountability for employers having to put super away for us as well. Um, yeah. We're just going to end up with a whole bunch of people that get to an age where they either can never retire. We're just going to work till we're dead. Um, or, yeah. or they're going to be relying on a pension system that's, I really don't think that our pension system is going to get any better over the years either, which is a completely different thing. That's just like, just so much frustration. It's it's, yeah. And it's a kind of multi-pronged attack, Mm. right. On, on the financial security of, of Mm. workers and you, you know, enable people to cut into their savings early in order to, you know, kick quote unquote, kickstart the economy you know, you've got politicians like Tim Wilson yeah. arguing that people should be able to take out their super whenever they want in order to try and no. put a down payment on a house, which is the, uh, which is just so the flawed. audacity, the absolute like uh, oh take take money out of your future so that you can buy a house now and be in debt until you get to that point to retire to have no money. Like it's just ridiculous. Can I? I would actually let listeners please if you are ever in doubt. There are so many free financial counselling um, helplines that you can contact to get help with that. If if you're struggling and you're getting letters from um, from your bills, from everything like that, if you are in a position that you're not sure what to do, speak to someone. You know, just mm. just like we encourage people to seek help for their mental health, for help for physical health financial health is so important and it's something that I wish I had known when I was younger because Mm. I'm finally getting my act together in my mid thirties. And, you know, if I'd, if I'd been able to have that, if I'd knew that that assistance was available 10, 15 years ago, there's so many poor financial choices that I most likely would not have made. So, um, yeah, definitely. If you if if it ever becomes a thing that you think that taking ten grand out of your super is a good idea, please talk to someone that's not a bank first. <laughs> <laughs> definitely don't listen to the government. No, no, the government are not your friend. They're just not. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be. Yeah, definitely don't be taking financial advice from a liberal politician. No. Step one: have rich parents. Mm. Step two: profit. Yes. Uh, that's about all the helpful advice they could give you. Look at this story, like that clickbait story. Look at this 25-year-old who's managed to buy a, a house. Oh, that's right. She got a job with like her, her like Paris family. Consulting firm. Uh, you yeah. know, oh, that like $200,000 inheritance was put to good use. Like, come on. Like, yeah. It only ever gets one little line in the yeah. article. Like, oh yeah, she, she scrimped and saved. She gave up an avocado toast and coffees. And oh yeah, also she is the heiress of this electric lamp fortune or whatever. Uh, there's always, <laughs> there's always some shit like that. 
Exactly. Um, yeah, always check your source for those things as well. <laughs> like Important part of the process. But yeah, I guess to, to come back to what you were saying, um, and it's become almost a, a, a cliche, I guess, to say this at this stage, but the coronavirus you know, economic crisis has really um, just compounded the existing inequality that was already there and just made it very apparent. Um, and when you, uh, you know, speak about, you know, for example, all of this unpaid mm. labor and caring work that in the vast majority of cases falls to women, like it just, you know, I think it really exposes, um, as you say, like just how much of a kind of how widespread and ingrained in our societal attitudes exactly. it is that like this stuff doesn't really count as work. And this idea that like, you don't, uh, you know, you can just have a kid at home with you. That's no extra work. You can yeah. work a job from home and just have a kid with you. Like as, as if that adds no extra pressure to your day. Like these rules are clearly being made by somebody who's never have to actually look after a, a exactly. child. Exactly. No, it's just, I, I do genuinely hope that, moving forward, there is a, a change for mm. a lot of industries with this. So, yeah. To make it more flexible. And even a big thing that I would like to see more of is encouragement for the other parent to be able to take leave, to normalize mm. dads taking time off to raise their kids and yeah. have, so that mum can head back in. Obviously I'm flicking back to heteronormative, like I know that there's very gender diverse um, situations. So, you know, of course, but like, it's always the assumption that the, the parent who's physically given birth is going to be the one that takes the time off, um, mm. you know, to have their maternity, like even just the fact that it's only, only in recent years been changed from being called maternity leave to being called parental leave, parental leave. Um, yeah. which uh, it's just because it's so ingrained that it's going to be the mum that takes the time the the time off and then is raising the child until they go back to work. Just putting that spin on it that no that it should be normalised that you know dad is not just you know babysitting. Mm. Um, it's raising the child like you. But yeah, that's it's our just men are not helpless. It, like, like let's let's like you know they can. <laughs> If you can yeah, run well, a company, the, you can raise your kid. Like a lot of laws would have us <laughs> believe the opposite, right? Because obviously we're we're talking about you know in, in one sense societal attitudes towards you know who takes on the responsibility for you know caring labor, unpaid labor. But but as as you say, this stuff is literally written into our laws as well. Hmm. And in some cases, we're seeing a little bit of progress with the development of language around you know, paternity leave, parental leave is a good example of that. But obviously that's only one step along the journey. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, like the, there's been conversation this week around, you know, how do we fix what is obviously this enormous destructive cultural problem at the heart of our like political system? I mean, I'm all for burning it all down. Um, but in a slightly less violent way. It's hard way. not to feel that way. After <laughs> yeah. The, like they yeah, just, I think that's a totally legitimate response to what's happened over the last couple of weeks. Like yeah. just, I, 
there's been so many things where I just, I can't even put things into words sometimes, yeah. but it's just, yeah. it's, it's, oh, I've found that the last few weeks in particular, one minute I'm just, I just feel so deflated and mm. heartbroken that this mm. stuff is still happening. Yeah. But then, then the next minute it flicks into burning rage that we need to do something. We need to fix this. And you know mm. what? If the rules need to be rewritten, then let's do it. Like, yeah, it's it needs, not, it it's not happen, good yeah. enough to say, oh, well, that's just how it is. It's not good enough. So yeah, yeah we need to hold even all, all levels of everything. We need to hold them accountable that, yeah. You know, all humans should be able to feel safe and respected and equal in their workplaces and in any part of society. So, mm. yeah. And it feels like an extraordinarily basic thing to be asking for. Yeah. <laughs> like, just just want to be able to exist. That yes. would be that would be great. Can I just exist without fear? <laughs> like that would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, but and of course, you know, it's it's a simple request, but not, or you know, a simple concept, but definitely not at all simple to achieve. And I think mm. you've pointed that out when uh, you spoke about how complicated the idea of a gender pay gap is, and how you it isn't just down to simply the dollar amount, exactly. but obviously there are all these you know other societal factors that have a massive influence on you know. Yeah, on how much uh, work, generally speaking, and not just paid work, but how much work women have to do. Like it's it's something that I find, but like something that I've picked up on, uh, like you know, when it's it's even little things. Like when when people ask, "Oh, mm. what are you doing for the weekend?" and like my first response is usually housework because I have housework yeah. to do, and they're like, "No, no, but yeah. what are you really doing on your weekend?" I'm like, "No, no, I've." I've got housework really to housework. do. <laughs> I work full time and I've got kids. Like I have to clean things when I'm home. You know, yeah. I've got washing to, to do. Um, to do all the life that I can't do because I have to spend a majority of my waking hours at a job. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and but again, like you know, um, I I am very much. No, I I'm talking i'm talking from a place of privilege because i know that i'm not the norm like i'm and especially with everything that happened last year as well i'm very lucky that i work in a male dominated industry because i work in public transport our industry was relatively unaffected when, mm. i don't want to say unaffected because we definitely were but we were very lucky that the network kept running so mm. all of us still had jobs um and you know so I still knew that I would was going to have money to put food on the table and to pay the bills that I had. And I know that there were yeah. so many industries that, you know, if there was a lockdown announced, like they were actually hanging up, you know, so many people actually relying on those daily press conferences to know whether or not they were going to be able to pay their bills because they had yeah. to know whether they were going to be able to go to work or not. Um, yeah. I'm also very lucky that my children are teenagers. So yeah. I don't have to have as much hands-on care with them as, say, someone that's got toddlers or or primary school children that really mm. did need a lot more hands-on guidance for their online learning and mm. and care. Um, and I'm I'm also you know yeah I'm 
I've got through this quite, I, I feel very privileged in this and, but it's very important to acknowledge that not everyone is in that position and that, you know, when being respectful of so many people being very adversely affected by this and mm. you know, just because I've been able to, I don't want to say get through unscathed because God, my mental health has taken a beating this last year, yeah, but, um, but there, but also like, you know, if, if you're able to, you know, be someone else's flotation device, then do that, you know, mm. let, yeah. Just yeah, making, absolutely. I mean, you know, solidarity yeah. and, 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 yeah. and people and workers supporting each other is, you know, is uh, probably in many cases far more important to people's, uh, has been more impactful in people's lives than whatever support that governments or workplaces have been able to offer in many cases. Yeah. Um, but I think you you make a great point in the sense of, um, you know, understanding that our various, the positions that we occupy within society are deeply complex and there might be way there are ways in which you know, you are structurally disadvantaged, but you can simultaneously recognize that there is still a lot of work to do for other people who in many ways might have it worse off. And one of the things I really like about the NAM Melbourne International Women's Day Collective is that there's this focus um, on a route like on, on, consistent kind of anti-oppression politics and justice in a really broad sense. Oh, um, yes. And uh, I, I've got here the list of demands for for the um, for International Women's Day 2021 that was released by the Melbourne NAM Collective. And I thought I'd just read those off because um, they give a really good sense of how passionate I think the IWD NAM Collective is about uh, justice for all. So the demands are indigenous justice to end gendered violence, climate justice, full decriminalization of sex work, full access to health care, economic justice, workers' rights, and systemic justice. What a fantastic and list. It is. Like, it's, it's, a, just it's, a, it's killer. Amazing. Like, it is. Because honestly, and that's, that's what's great about this list of demands as well, because really, like, if you're, if you're saying no to those things like i mean what's wrong <laughs> like, you know, yeah like yeah no and it's like, like a bit of a catchphrase it's like if your feminism is not for indigenous people if it's not for sex workers mm. if it's not for trans and gender diverse people then who is it for really exactly. think about it oh. and i think that and i i love this because you know there's there are you know, people who call themselves feminists who who are, you know, as we know, who are sex worker exclusive or or trans exclusionary. <laughs> um, and 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 to like, you know, the that the International Women's Day Collective here in in Nam is so proactive about right off the oh, bat we, just being like, none yeah, of that we do bullshit. Not, we do not have we do not have space for that rubbish. Um yeah. like I, oh, I think say, it's so, so important. Yeah, you, I did mention earlier. I I am like baby activist here because mm. last year was actually the first International Women's Day rally that I'd been to, right. um, and I'd just come off um, 
we'd, we'd had a international women's day conference all day. I'd had my mm. union conference that week as well. Um, and just that so empowered. And then, um, like, you know, I don't always deal well with the crowd, but the, the, the crowd of women would, and obviously men as well. Cause you know, we love our allies. Yay. Um, it was just this empowering space, um, mm. and seeing people like, I, I found there was quite a few parts where I was just so overwhelmed that I actually teared up quite a bit. Mm. And then, um, their performance from the Latina feminist. I hope I've probably yeah. got that name wrong, but the um, Latinx la- feministas. Thank yeah. you. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. They are just so powerful. And you, so powerful. Oh, yeah. I, I choke up every time I see that performance. It's just yeah. amazing. But yeah, so um, you, I am, I'm cannot wait for for the rally on Monday because it's just it's time we need it. Um, I'm so glad yeah. that that everything's got itself under control a little bit so that we can actually still gather safely. Like obviously there is yeah. going to be a lot of COVID safe precautions in in place. You know, hand sanitizing, masks, and everything. Um, they are very much encouraging. You know, if if you're if you're not well, obviously don't come. Like, watch yeah. from home. You know, th- send your support via carrier pigeon or something. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's also that creating that space where because we have this new, well, not new now, it's like a year old with the t- factoring COVID into anything mm. that we do as well, um, but making it so that we can still have this amazing, powerful display of solidarity for the sisterhood and mm. um, but also not adding adding in the risk of everything else so i'm really looking forward to it and i'm i'm just honored to be part of like some very high caliber speakers as well um so it's just it's going to be yeah amazing. there's an incredible lineup amazing. of speakers so that nam melbourne international women's day event is going to be fantastic obviously but uh there are events happening in all cities around Australia, so can't recommend enough uh, getting mm. along to that um, and, you know, either taking part or showing your solidarity. I'm going to be going down as a, a marshal helping out, um, which is one way to, like, demonstrate solidarity. But uh, I guess just to finish up here, um, you've really brought it home in saying, I think, you know, that this, this event is needed, that mm. women need this. Um, because do. you were speaking earlier, yeah, about obviously not just over the past year, but especially over the past couple of weeks. I mean, just absolutely like relentless trauma and misogyny and highlighting of just how far the, we have to go in the fight for equality for women. I mean, it's just been an absolutely like exactly. shattering few weeks. Um, um, and I was going to, and you said you struggled sometimes, you know that you feel deflated at times. And I was going to ask you, I mean, how, how, like what inspires you to get going at those times? And it seems like, you know, the, the this kind of event, seeing women coming together and yeah. celebrating each other and celebrating their power is, is, is crucial. Yeah. Um, it's going to sound really cliche, 
But one of the big things that inspires me when I, especially with this sort of stuff is, uh, my kids, uh, <laughs> my, my son's 15, my daughter's 13. Um, and you know, having those conversations with them to, you know, tell to like, why is this happening still? And mm. making sure that when they're, when they're my age, we shouldn't still have to have this conversation. Yeah. You know, we, it should be like something that we look at as history that we're almost embarrassed by. You know, we should be embarrassed by the things that have happened and inspired by the reaction to them. It's important to acknowledge our history and mm. do better. Yeah, absolutely. I, that seems like that's what this event is all about. Um, and uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and sharing your perspective and uh, thank you for having filling me. in a bit more detail about the day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolute pleasure. Um, so, well, I look forward to seeing you at the, at the event itself. Yes. And thank you, you again speak. for marshalling. We appreciate our marshals keeping us safe. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, somebody's got to do it. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, th this has been a really fun conversation and um, and very inspiring. And so uh, I hope you've enjoyed this, listeners. Um, and Danny, uh, solidarity with you. And yeah, thank you, um, solidarity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cheers to coming on the show, and uh, and I'm sure that we'll catch you again. Thank you so much.